This episode is brought to you by my new book, Mastering Adversity, Unlock the Warrior Within and Turn Your Biggest Struggles into Your Greatest Gifts. You guys, it's now available for pre-sale. Go grab a copy. If you like what you see in the show over the last three years, whether you've been here with, with me for the beginning or you're just joining recently, everything that I've learned along the way of interviewing over 300 and, well, it's almost 370 plus people combined with my own personal transformational journey through all the different healing modalities and all the things that I've learned along the way. I put it into a book and it's going to be out in September. So if you love this show, if you're a fan of the show and you want to support the show, this is the best way to do so. And it's available now. Click the link, grab yourself a copy, and I promise you, you'll love it. All right, enjoy this episode. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. Today's guest is the CEO of Smalik Enterprises and the chairman of Malik Co. She is a crisis management expert, business strategist, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Spin It podcast. Stephanie Malik is joining us today. We dive into her story and buckle up because this is a very, very powerful conversation. I was recently on her podcast and we connected and we went super deep into my story. So I wanted to bring her on and dive into hers. Now, to become as, as skilled as she is at negotiating and crisis management, you're going to have to go through a lot of different things in your life in order to gain these different perspectives, right? So what I learned about her story before this, before this conversation was that she has been through a ton of adversity in her life. Most, she went through more adversity in the first 15 years of her life than most go in their whole life. So it makes sense that she's an expert in what she does because she's got such a wide perspective, wide range of um, knowledge, and she's able to help people move through these challenging times in their life. So we went deep right away and I really, truly enjoyed this conversation. So as always, let us know what you think. If you feel called to do so, leave us a review on Apple. It really helps. And you guys, if you aren't subscribed to this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, subscribe. Or if you're on Spotify, hit the follow button, CastBox, wherever. You guys get the point. But if you want to watch this on YouTube, we're also available there. Hit the subscribe and the bell to stay notified. This is a very inspirational, very deep conversation. So make sure you listen to this right to the end. And I promise you, you're going to get a ton of value from this. All right. Enjoy this conversation with Stephanie Malik. Stephanie, welcome to University of Adversity. So good to see you again. You too, Lance. Thank you so much for the invite. Well, for all of you that don't know, I was on Stephanie's amazing podcast, Spin It With Stephanie, which was like one of my favorite conversations that I've had, you know, not only on 
different podcasts, but just in general, we just went so deep and it was kind of unexpected because we didn't really know each other, but it was just like this, like powerful, you know, energy. And I really enjoyed it. So I've been looking forward to having you on because your story is freaking incredible. And, you know, I'm looking at, there's a really, really powerful LinkedIn post that you had a while back. And it like talks about all the things that you went through as a child. And it's hard for me to imagine how somebody that goes through such challenges as a young person that they end up to become successful. It's not only inspiring, but it's just like mind blowing. So I would love for those that are just getting to know you for the first time, talk us about your, talk to us and speak to us about your childhood. You know, like walk us through, because I mean, you had a lot go on, but what sticks out for you as being something that really shaped who you are today? Yeah. So, so first of all, thank you. The post, I'll just tell you really quickly. I was taking a shower and Devin, my oldest daughter, who you know, who did creative, she walked in to my dressing room and she goes, Hey mom, what about doing something like this? And she kind of read something very similar. And I laughed and I was like, Devin, can you like scroll, scroll? Can you imagine if I started telling everybody about like everything that had happened? She goes, mom, I really feel like you need to do it. And so I was like, okay. And so I was on an airplane and I kind of just followed her format and I did it. And it, and, and truthfully, Lance, I don't, nobody really knows this, but it was 64 lines. So it wasn't even the kind of a condensed version that actually ended up going up. Okay. And so Devin edited it down and she came in and she was kind of choked up. And she was like, are you sure? Like, she's like, mom, I don't want to like throw you out there for... And I sat with her and I said, Devin, if it's going to help one person, one person, if it's going to make somebody who was abused or hurt or abandoned or, you know, struggled, if it's going to help one person, I am happy to completely open the kimono and just give people the inspiration. Just if she can do it, if she can do it, I can do it. And that was the entire intention of the post. And Lance, you know, because we've talked about this before, once the post goes up, I, I honestly don't even... I don't pay attention to it. I'm helping clients. I'm helping people. And then the next day it was, it, she, they came in and they said, Hey, the post went viral. And I did not know what that meant. And I was like, awesome. What <laughs> that means. So it was, it was inspiring to read the comments. They printed out the comments to me. They brought them to me. And I got four or five people asking me about a book, you know, saying, Hey, just <laughs> consider writing a book. And I was like, a book on what? And they're Worse. like, Tiffany, seriously on what? I was like, I just don't feel like I'm worthy of a book. I feel like there's so many other people who have been through so much more and they're like, yeah, wrong. And we'll be calling you next month. Mm. So I don't know, Lance. I mean, the, the whole entire premise is, you know, my, my father drowned when I was two and a half years old. I didn't know he was my father until much later, until I was 15. I found out accidentally. Everybody knew except for me. I was the only one who didn't know. So my nationality wasn't my nationality. My siblings weren't really truly my siblings. My mom had a complete psychotic break. It took him 20 days to find my dad's body. She had a psychotic break. You know, she was very abusive. I was in the hospital multiple times with broken bones. Back in that time, you don't really get taken, taken away. You know, that, and, and I, I honestly, I don't even think I was, I don't think I was truthful about it. You know, I think I fell down the stairs 26 times, even though our house did not stairs. And nobody really looked into it. You know, nobody really paid attention to it. Nobody was really... They didn't ask you if your parent was abusing you. They didn't ask you any of those things. 
And quite frankly, I just thought it was normal. I thought everybody got spanked or hit with things. When I got into high school, I had already had three people in my neighborhood who had been shot and killed. Recovering at 15 years old that my father wasn't my father. And that was atrocious and devastating and painful. I got emancipated when I was 15 and a half. And that had presented a bunch of incredible options that, or or I should say not options, incredible situations that I wasn't really thinking about, like renting an apartment or transportation or things like that. Finished high school on, on independent study and started college at 16 and a half years old. Finished at 20, got married to the first person who actually paid attention to me or that I noticed paid attention to me at 21. Had a baby at 22, got divorced at 23 and started paying him alimony at 24. I think that covers it. (laughs) But it's so interesting to me that you turned out so well and so successful, right? There's so many people that have been through a lot less that never were able to break through and they ended up, you know, addicted or in jail or dead, you know, because the odds are when you, your environment around you shapes who you are, especially when you're young, you're young, you don't have you can't distinguish whether something's good or bad. You're just a sponge and you're just, everything just is, right? So you're just getting all of this information and you can't say, well, that's bad or that's good. And for somebody to be able to, you know, to actually succeed from having that is really remarkable. Well, well, you know, so first of all, Lance, thank you so much for saying that. You know, I think the other options for me, it's, it's so funny. I, I was on a podcast a few months ago and they were talking about intention and it's interesting. I have a very different theory about this. Okay. I think everything in your life can be an example. I think everything. So like for my mother, I want to be the absolute antithesis of what that is. So I see that and I want to do the exact opposite. Okay. Or I see somebody who is really amazing and are closely bonded to their kids. And I was like, wow, I really love how they communicate. And, and so I want to emulate that example. So no matter what the thing that is presented in front of you can be example of, I would like, I would love to be like that. or I would love to be nothing like that. Okay. That's number one. Number two, I want to say that I had all of this willpower and I was this just amazingly incredible kid. It's not true. It's not. Here's what happened. My friends had babies with a bunch of different guys, three, four, five different guys. They were in jail or they were on drugs. And I was like, ew, gross. I don't want to do that. Like, or I didn't want to stick a straw in my nose because I was like, you look like a jackass. Like, you just look stupid. I don't want to do that. And, and so like my reasoning for doing things was never kind of, I want to say kind of, it never really was the right reason. Like it was never really like, I don't want to do drugs because that could really affect me from a, I didn't have that feeling. I was just like, I don't want to look dumb. I need to act mature. I need to look like, like I'm a smart person. And, and those are the reasons why I did the things, not so much from a moral compass standpoint, more from, I don't want to end up with four different dads of children that could really mess them up. I understand what that did to me. And so that's why I did it. It wasn't until much later that I started exactly like you said, so eloquently, what was my environment? What was I taking in? And I remember as I started doing like neuro-linguistic processing and I started really understanding where do your beliefs come from? So what are your beliefs? And if you start at the very top, your morals come from your value. I'm sorry, your, your, your beliefs come from your morals and your values. That forced me to 
ask myself, what are my morals and what are my values? And then the next line was kind of like your environment and your capacity depicts and dictates what you can take in. Well, my environment sucked, but I felt like my capacity was really good. I really wanted to learn. I really wanted to understand. Okay. And then what type of behaviors did I want to emulate towards others? And this is a process like this didn't happen overnight. This was 15, 20 years, different therapists, different coaches, different books, really trying to understand who, who did I want to be? Well, what, what was I doing here? What was my purpose? My big trick was when I finally settled on who I was and who I wanted to be. And then I gained so much information. I gained so much knowledge. I gained all of these things. I really felt like I was stuck there. I didn't realize that as you gain more information, as you perfect behaviors, as you perfect emotions, as you perfect really good questions, your purpose and your passion can change as you become more savvy. That was the hardest thing for me to go, oh, I thought it was this over here. You mean I can evolve? That's when things got really, really, really very opened and enlightened for me. I want to go back to 15-year-old you. And what I always like to do is I like to think of myself when I was 15 and just emotionally, you know, how crazy it is at that time. And when you found out your father wasn't your father, you know, what emotions ran through? Like what, because that is, that is almost like the ultimate feeling of betrayal. If you, like, that's what I, I picture myself, like, what would I feel like if I heard that? You know, like, speak to us about that. Like, how did that feel? And did that, did that show up later in your life as like, you know, you think you trust people, but they're going to like screw you around or like, how did that surface later yeah. on? <clears throat> so I don't think I've actually ever told like the full story. So I'll tell you the very quick version again, you know, I'm transparent. So just ask me. <laughs> When I was, it was, it was right after my birthday. So it was in February. My mom called the school and said that my father, who, by the way, uh, important note here, my father lives, my father, who was really not my father, he lived six miles away from me. They had been divorced since I was two, but I rarely saw him. I saw the kids a lot, but I rarely saw him. There was no like custody visitation. I would run into him. It was a small town. I would run into him, but we, there was no, he would be like, hi. And it was like a friend. Okay. So there was no relationship to speak of. Okay. So when I was like, right after I turned, I think I was right before I turned 15 or right after I turned 15, my mom called the school and she said, I need to come pick up Stephanie. She has to give a blood test. Her father was just diagnosed with cancer. <clears throat> and so she picks me up and I'm, imagine I'm 15. I'm like, absolutely not. Screw him. I don't care. Like, you know, you can't make me go give blood and like, I don't like, what am I going to do if I'm a match? Like, I'm not going to sit there and save this jack jerk's life. You know, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, get in the car. You're doing it. So I go and I did, do the blood test and Lance, I forget about it. Like nothing ever came up again. Okay. So in, in July, July 15th, I'm walking home from summer school. I'd taken two classes in summer school. And my mom was a hospital administrator for a, for a very large doctor's association. And she was on the top floor and she reconciled all the bills for the building. Okay. And so every single day I would walk down, I'd walk in and there was a woman at the front. Her name was Bev and she would hand me candy and give me the stack of bills to take to my mom. And it, it, this is what I did every day. 
So I grabbed the lollipop. She's like, how was your day? And I'm like, good. I stuck the lollipop in my mouth. I grabbed the things, got a backpack on. I have a Walkman on. I bet you don't know what that is. Yeah. So I have a Walkman on. I stick it on. I hit the elevator door and I look down and my name is on the envelope. And I was like, that's weird. Nothing occurs to me. Like nothing. I'm just like, that's super odd. Like I'm, why do I have a bill? Like I just had no clue. So I opened it. And I'm in the elevator and I'm going up to the top floor and I open it up and it says in big red letters, it says paternity denied. And I was like, paternity denied? What is that? That's weird. And I read there, it's, it's very um, bullet pointed. It said, based on the information from the DNA collected, blah, 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 blah. And then it says, these people are not related. <clears throat> and then it had his name and then it had my name. So I get, ding. I click the elevator back down to the lobby. I walk out the door and I call my boyfriend at the time, okay, who's my mother's best friend's son, who happens to be home from San Diego. And I, I call him and, I, and he doesn't answer. And so I put another 20 cents or 10 cents into the phone thing. And I call my, one of my best girlfriends, her dad's a pathologist. And I say, uh, Michelle, can I talk to your dad? And she's like, yeah. And so he gets on the phone and I go, hey, Dr. Boyce, how are you? Just doing a report for school. And I was wondering if you could tell me what this means. And he goes, sure, read it to me. And so I read it to him and he says, oh yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you. He said, that means that two people gave DNA. That can be a blood source. That could be a swab. That could be like all of these things. And I'm like, my face is like melting. And he's like, and that means the two people that gave this DNA are not related. And I'm like, okay, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate it. At the time, Lance, the, tele the phone things they had, they have the doors, you know, the kind of the push-in doors. I opened the door and I threw up. And I was shaking uncontrollably. And I was crying and I was shaking. And, and I remember everybody, everybody's going to think I'm a liar. Oh my God, what's my nationality? Oh my God, what does this mean? Who are I? Like, I just spun. And I went upstairs to my mom's office and I threw it across the room at her. And I started, I started throwing things and flipping out and going absolutely, completely berserk. The craziest thing ever about that entire day was my uncle was in the building, which He'd never been in the building before. And the whole time my mom had worked there, he's like six foot five. And he was there at the time. So he literally looks at me, this tiny kid, you know, five to 85 pounds. And he's like, what? Like, what is going on? And I was like screaming. I threw him the paper. And he just looked at the paper. I went home. I threw all of my stuff in Ziploc bags. I'm sorry, uh, garbage bags. Literally like this, just like this. And I never went back again. That was it. I never walked back into that house again. From, 15, from July 15th, the year I turned 15. Wow. So did you, what was your feelings after that? Like, how did you feel? I felt, I felt a, my 15 year old self felt like I wanted to die. Like I didn't know it, what was like, what I, I, I was like, you know what? Technically there's a lot of pictures of my brother when my brother was born, there's a ton of pictures of my mom in the hospital with my aunts and everybody around. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of when I was born. Is she even my mother? Like everything just kind of <clears throat> spun out. And it was, it was hard. It was, it was, I wanted to try and do everything bad. 
Like, I remember that was the only day I considered drugs. That was the only day I considered getting drunk. And then like, I was like presented with the opportunity and I was like, <laughs> thank you. Like, I just couldn't do that. But I was, I was horrified. I cried and cried and cried. I was devastated. I think the most devastating thing about this Lance, and I haven't thought about this in so long, I think was her lack of care. Like she was just like, like, okay, get over it. The worst part about the entire thing is finding out my real father had drowned and that I was at his funeral. So there's pictures of, I know. So there's pictures of me at my dad's funeral, like too, like hanging out with people that don't even know I'm his kid. <laughs> yeah. As the world turns. <laughs> Okay, so like you you say you didn't drink and that kind of stuff. This is what f I find interesting. It's like, what was inside of you that stopped you from going down that path that most do after so much trauma? Like that's traumatizing. What you've been yeah. through, oh, yeah. in, all that is traumatizing. So it's interesting to me how, how you were able to not choose the path of destruction per se as a lot would. Like, what is that? Like how, what kind of, you must have had some sort of, some sort of mentor or some sort of parent figure or, or that, that's instilled some values in you. Like, I'm just trying to understand how you were able to not fall into like the craziness. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. So <clears throat> obviously it was about 22,000 years ago, but from my best recollection, I didn't, I don't necessarily, I, I don't necessarily think that I had the um, attention span or the acumen to understand that drugs were destructive. I don't think I actually thought that. Yeah. Nobody around me had died from drugs. People around me had died from getting shot. Okay. My friends that did drugs smoked weed and they were all happy and funny and, you know, chill and nice. So I don't necessarily think that I, associated with it being destructive. I associated it with you looking like an idiot. Mm. Like I was like that you look like you rolled up money and you stuck it in your nose. Like you look stupid. Like <laughs> that was, that was more of like, I mean, I did other destructive things, you know, like I, I, I mean, people go, Stephanie, that's not really destructive, but like, you know, I consistently chose the wrong boyfriend who was not overly nice to me. But then again, I didn't do like a bunch of bad things with the, the boyfriends. I did my own stuff. Like I just yeah. did like the things that I thought were bad. Like I didn't come home. I, I would lie to people all the time about where I was and what I was doing for like zero reason at all. I just, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know my father, but they say that I'm very similar to he was not destructive. He was very kind. He was very empathetic. It was just innate for him. And so as I got older and they would tell me more about him, it, I felt a little bit of a closer connection because I would read, I read, he was in the military and I would read letters from him talking to his mom, my grandmother. And there was a lot of similarities with her flipping out about something and how he handled it in a letter. So, you know, I don't know. I just didn't feel destructive or I felt angry and I felt hurt. I felt like I didn't belong. I felt alone. I felt like, I felt cheated. I felt even to this day at 50, even to this day, I'm like, I wonder how much different things would be with his influence around my children and around my life. I wonder how things, you know, would have been with him 
in a closer relationship with. Has it made you a way better parent just having that awareness? I mean, yeah, I don't know how aware you can be at 22. I had Devin at 22. You know, I'm not sure how aware you can be. What I did every day is I woke up and tried to do the exact opposite of my mother. Right. That's what I did. And you obviously, you know, Devin, were insanely tight. And I'm not saying that there's not, there hasn't been issues or, you know, but, but, but every family, every parent, there's no manual. These damn kids don't come with manuals and they're all different. You know, I think she's definitely, she's definitely a good egg for sure. Yeah. I mean, but you know, and then, you know, again, you know me, Lance, I'm like, I'm super straight. Okay. When she starts touting me, I'm 27 years old and, and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. I'm like, absolutely. You, you know what? You were hatched and you just came out this perfect child. You're completely right. I had nothing to do with it. No, I, I, I gave up a lot. I, I wasn't at happy hours. I wasn't going out. I didn't have boyfriends. I didn't date. She's, she never saw a guy around me until I got married. Like she was treated very respectfully and very kindly. And she didn't have a lot of chaos and turmoil in her life because I know what happened with me and I never wanted that around her. So while she is an amazing, amazing kid, all my kids are phenomenal. Now just four. Killed like 14. Yeah. Four is a good number. I'd like to have four kids one day. That'd be a good number. It's like a big family. You better get on it. I know. I know. I should. <laughs> I just put that out in the universe. <laughs> Take it easy. That's a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm 39, four kids. That's a lot of work in the next few years. Wow. Yeah. Then at 39. So you need, you have some catching up to do, my friends. Yeah. So <laughs> there's, there's obviously we're in some really challenging times, right? For people the last couple of years and people are, you know, lots of stuff has happened to people. And they're in their own unique situation and they're looking at life through their own unique lens. So is there, what, what advice, if somebody's looking to, they're really struggling with their own personal stuff and they really want to look at maybe creating a new path and empowering themselves, is there any resources or books that really stood out to you or mentors that, that you could recommend that has maybe helped you at sort of like changing your perspective or somebody that you go to now, or just something like that, that's helped you that could help others that may be like using their story to define them now. And it doesn't have to. Yeah. You know, I get this question often and I I come up with the same answer. I want to come up with a better answer. But I feel like if you can get out and get away from you, if you can get out of your own head, and I, I, this is easier said than done. And obviously my mom struggles with mental illness. You know, my brother has had so many psychotic breaks, you know, like I'm around mental illness and, and, and a big, not small, like bipolar, schizophrenia, schizoaffective psychosis like this is something that I deal with on a, on a regular basis so I don't take this lightly I'm not one of those people who just go yeah read a book the, the truth of the matter is if somebody is struggling that that immensely Lance their neuroceptors are on overload reading a book will do nothing it, it will it, it'll make them feel less because they're not processing it it'll make them feel like look see I, t- I know something's wrong with me I tend to do things differently if you're really struggling and you truly are like I have 
messed up so many things in my life, relationships, maybe work, maybe kids, maybe you just feel like a loser or, or, or like you're screwed up, or maybe you just feel like you, you just don't know what your purpose is, or you just don't understand kind of where you're going. I'm going to say this and, and everybody thinks I'm crazy and then they do it and they're like, oh my God, go serve others, go serve others. If you wake up and you're in a bad spot, go serve others. You go sit down with 40-year-old Ukrainian doctors who have lost their entire family in the bombing, have no proof of their education whatsoever, can't get proof of their education, and they are working as janitors or they're working as servants in a, in a homeless camp. You go meet those people that have worked so incredibly hard and, and this is what they're doing and they're grateful and they're happy. They're like, at least there's no bombs. You know, I hope one day I'm able to meet somebody else again. You go meet that person who has done rehab 14 times and they keep trying and they keep going back. Go read their heart. Go listen to their struggle. Stop internalizing everything. Go out and find out what's out there because you know what? I guarantee you one thing. There's 150 people that want to be exactly where you are right now. No matter where you are, their life is so hopeless. They feel so helpless that where you're standing right this exact minute, so many people want to be. Oh, that's such a good point. Thank you for saying that. Serving others is like what brings that abundance in our lives, you know? Yeah. The more you give, the more you get. You know, it's, it, and even without expectations, it's just like, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I think that it's just important to have people that will call you on your crap and people that will, that have, you know, it's, I remember hearing this in high school going, hey, you know, the people that you surround yourself up, you're the sum of the five people that you're around. And I remember going, good God, help me. Like, cause I'm around some pretty sketchy people. I felt like not judging people was my superpower. And that is true. I don't judge anyone. But who do I get input from? Who do I fill myself up with? Who am I around that makes me better? Who am I around that goes, hey, Steph, maybe you have it wrong. You know, have you thought of this perspective? Who am I around? What giants do I surround myself with that make me giant? Or do I surround myself with toxicity? Because seven days, toxicity breeds. So if you go on vacation with that super cool cat from college who's doing drugs or, you know, having crazy relationships with women in seven days, that will give your psyche great effect. It doesn't matter how, how strong you are. Be careful who your friendships are. Invite people in, invite them in, find out what they're all about. Find out what good that they bring out in you. What, what skill, what mannerism, what um, behavior do you not recognize about yourself? What do you not recognize? Maybe somebody else will see it and continue to build up and build up and build up these, these resources. Now, I, Lance, the people that I have in my life, I can literally call them in one second and they will do anything in the world for me in a second because I've given and given and nurtured and given and served and given and served and given. It's not about the money. It's not about the referral fee. It's not about, it's about doing the right and the honorable thing and growing myself and growing my business and growing my service in acts of kindness and empathy. Yeah, that's, that's powerful stuff. 
how much has faith been a part of your life also? Like how, how has that been for you at, you know, navigating life? So that's a phenomenal question. And I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. So thank you so much for asking that. I think at different parts and different points in your life, depending on what's happening, age, maturity, growth, circumstances. I think where I started and where I am now, I can definitely see the upward trajectory of God controls every single thing in my life. And I'm a control freak. And so sometimes sitting back and taking a deep breath and going, it wasn't my time or it wasn't the right time. Or thank you for allowing this circumstance to happen right now and not whenever I'd spent all kinds of resources or time or money or effort. I think, I think having God and being so willing to talk about it. I had a client right before COVID who I love him with all of my heart, adore him, but he was a disaster, disaster. And I remember walking into his hotel room and it was a little bit of a scary time. We couldn't get into his room for about a day and we were calling and calling and calling. So I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to walk into. And so I was, I was pretty nerve wracked and I was really concerned about his staff. And I walked in and thank God he was alive and he was okay. And uh, he was in a bad spot. I remember I sat down next to him and I held his hands. He's a big guy, like six, three. And I, and he was just leaned over and he was crying. And I remember I said, I'm just going to pray with you. Okay. Like, I'm just going to pray with you. And I remember I just held his hand and I leaned against his arm and I just said a prayer. I just said, you know, give, give him endurance, give him strength, direct his steps, like just very, very simple, simple things that he could connect to because at the time he wasn't really, he had lost both parents tragically. And so there was no God in his head. There was no God. This doesn't happen. And I pray probably two or three minutes. And I didn't realize how impactful it is. We never really spoke about it again. But a year later, he said, that's, if you can be who you are and you can walk in with no fear or nervousness and you could walk right over to me and sit down and pray with me, who am I? How come I can't do that? How come I can't have a relationship where I'm close to Jesus or close to God? How come I can't do that? He's like, you didn't miss a step, Stephanie. He's like, you walked in, you looked at me, you threw me a bathrobe. And he's like, you said, I'm going to pray with you. And he's like, if you can do that and not feel nervousness, not feel trepidation, not feel scared, not feel worried, not worry about your reputation or what somebody's going to say, why can't I do that? Why can't I be the one to do that? And I didn't know for a year. And he said, every single day I pray, I started going back to church. He said, and he's in, he's in a very different spot. I think it's, I think it's huge. And I think the one thing that we all need to remember is God reads our heart. So while we feel like complete morons or angry or pissed or flip a table or whatever, he knows everything that we're going through. He knows. Take a minute, take a deep breath, settle in, talk to him. Beautiful. It's interesting when you lose two people like that, two parents. And obviously you're going to think that God doesn't do bad things. It's like, God would never do that. And yeah, it's, I mean, and to just to be able to help somebody to see that differently, it's powerful. 
You know, like how does he switch? Like what is happening there? He's opening his heart. You know, I think for a lot of, and, and Lance, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. For me, I think, you know, co- coaching people all over the world. So being a performance coach all over the world, <clears throat> different nationalities, different customs, different cultures, different communities, being a crisis consultant. I think you have to be so comfortable in your own skin and who you are because you get thrown into just what, what you and I may go, wow, that's crazy, which is completely normal to them. How do you show up to them and make them not feel judged? Make them feel like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. I want to learn more. How do you slide into their world and, and, and learn more? And the only way I've been able to do that is being a thousand percent authentic. Like I had a Buddhist conversation in Qatar um, for three and a half hours with a guy from, from, uh, with an Israeli guy who switched from Judaism, which is one of the most difficult things to do. And now is like a full practicing Buddhist. Hmm. What does that look like? And so just talking to him and hearing his perspective and hearing his story and hearing the trauma and that I, I, I'm not Buddhist. I believe in God, but listening to him and finding out his path and his story and what got him there. That's fascinating. I could never judge that. Who am I to judge? So I always just say that to people when they're like, you, you walked in and you just, you walked in and you just prayed with a billionaire. Like I've walked in before and said, you don't need a performance coach. You need God because Houdini, Puff the Magic Dragon, whoever you've got going on in your crazy imagination, ain't nothing going on here, fool. Like, and they're like, so-and-so. I don't care. So-and-so was created by God too. Like, I don't care. Your title, your status, your money, your fame does not affect me. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what I'm here to do. You may love me. You may not. I'm still going to wake up tomorrow or the next day and do exactly what I'm supposed to do. I, I completely agree with like the, that connection to God. And for me, for the longest time, you know, I grew up as, you know, in Catholic and all of that. And, you know, as a teenager for the longest time, you know, I didn't believe it. I didn't, I thought it was all BS, right? You go through these phases, but it was like, as I got older and I started to do more work on myself and start to understand, you know, the difference between how I feel and the way, just my whole look at li- my whole outlook on life, even, you know, the way I see it is probably different than you do, but it's like my connection to God. Now I just, I can't imagine not having that because I have felt it. Like I've felt it and I've seen it. And, you know, in many different environments from like this, even in the psychedelic space, you know, like I have felt it and seen it and it's, it's really, it's so interesting because people go through their own personal journeys and it's like that feeling of that connection. And once you have that, it's like a heart opening feeling that you can't deny. And you just realize that it's truth. You know, it's truth. It's love. It's like, what is the truth? It's the only thing that is really the truth. And it's just such a beautiful thing that like, I can't imagine not having that now, you know? And yeah, such a beautiful thing because you know i think people think of it as like one way or not and like your ability to not judge others as far as like how they're 
beliefs are is really important too, right? Because like, I think everybody's just doing their best at like trying to figure out what that is, right? Yeah, I think that, I think that, so that's one of the things that when I started, when I moved away from management, management consulting, because I had the management consulting firm for 16 and a half years. And when I moved into kind of leadership performance coaching, crisis business consulting, okay, when I moved into that, I remember I have to hire a very unique staff, okay? Think about the things that they're seeing in emails. Think about, you know, the FBI, the CIA, the attorneys. Think about the allegations. Think about the indictments. Think about, think about the text messages. Think about the things that my staff would see, okay? And I remember I was talking to this, this one woman, this probably two years ago, we just closed a case that was, that was, I will tell you, it was my most difficult case because I was so, I was so not connected to the client. Like I was not connected. Like I wanted to walk in and just scratch his face off every single day, which is so not me, you know, like I'm usually like, we'll get through it, you know, just breathe, like hold my hand, like let's have a conversation here. And I have, I'm like, oh, like I just did this guy. Okay. And so, but I, we got done, we got through it, we got everything taken care of. And, and I remember at the very end, I remember this woman, she works with me, she's, she's 30. And she said, she said, Steph, can I just ask you one question? Can I just ask you just one thing? She's like, it might be inappropriate, but is there, can I just ask you? I'm like, you can ask me anything. She said, how do you, how do you go to sleep knowing that they've, that the stuff they tell you, like they tell you everything. And I was like, well, so I, I clarified the question, you know, I made sure that she didn't believe I was condoning the behavior, you know, like this is not, they, they, everybody gets a consequence. It's just, they get sometimes get consequences outside of media and paparazzi, which I believe everybody deserves. Okay. So we were talking about it and I said, sit down. And I said to her, who am I to judge? What does me judging me a human? I'm a human. Okay. What does one human judging another human for what they've done? What resolution do we get to? What level of understanding? What gifts do we share? What beliefs do we share? What values do we share? If I walk in and I go, oh, you, you, what? You like, how that person's already feeling shame. That person's already feeling extreme, unmeasurable guilt. That person is already feeling worthless and useless and hopeless. And I, as a human, am going to walk in and do that same thing. Now, these are their choices, he or she. I will help. I will always be a servant. I will always do my very, very best. But it's not my life. It doesn't affect my family. It wasn't my choice. I didn't do this. This is, I would not judge another person. It doesn't affect me. I go to home and I sleep really, really well. You know why? I showed up. And I put together the best resource team, the best legal team, the best performance team, the best professional services team to help he or she and their family. I go to sleep and sleep really, really well. His choices or her choices are not my choices. Do you say one of your best skills is connecting with humans on like a deep level? Is that what? Yeah. Because I feel like for the job, like with crisis management and business consulting, like there's got to be a level of like a human, you get to that humanness and you're able to connect with them. Yeah. I didn't realize it was, a, I didn't really realize it was a, a superpower. Like I didn't really realize that. <clears throat> My superpower has always been that I could walk in and have a 20 second conversation. I know if you're lying or not. That's why attorneys use me. 
attorneys use me, they're like, get staff because I can tell if they're they're being truthful or not. But I think the connection that I can get to in in a very short time, the level of trust. Lance, it takes a lot. I mean, it's a, it's an intimate, not physical, not sexual, but it's an intimate relationship when you sit next to somebody and they pour their entire life. Imagine me coming to your door right now. Okay, you've done something really, really bad. You called from a burner phone or one of your friends said call staff. Okay, you don't know me from Adam. You don't know anything. And I walk into your door and you're alone and you're nervous and you're shaky and you're edgy. Okay. And I walk in and I sit down next to you on the couch and I go, give me your hands. And I look at you and I say, tell me everything. And I'm this far away from you. Okay. You're looking at me. You're going to know if I'm full of crap. You're looking at me. You're looking into my eyes. These, this is why my business, this is why I stopped doing crisis in, in COVID because I can't do that on Zoom. I can't. I can't do that. I can't feel your presence. You're not going to trust me if you're money laundering, wire fraud, you know, like tax evasion, infidelity, like athletes, infidelity all the time. You're not going to, you're not going to trust me if I'm like, Hey Lance, I got this. You know, let me get, let me get your team set up for you. Who am I? If I walk in and I never, ever lose your eye contact and I'm like, okay, tell me everything. And you start kind of, I call it the toe. Okay. I call it the toe. You don't tell me everything. You just dip your toe in the water to see how it's going to be received. Okay. And you tell me one thing and I go, okay, keep going. Tell me more. Okay. And, and you're like, you're like, and you're a guy and you're like, whoa, that's, I just told a girl that and she didn't even trip. Okay. That's crazy. And then you tell me a little bit more and I'm like, okay, wow, that's crazy. Did that happen recently? And you're like, no, blah, blah, blah. And I'm okay. Okay. And we keep going and keep going. By the end of the day, you've told me everything. I know exactly what I need to do. In two days, we have a defense team created, not three months or four months. Mm-hmm but I'm with you. I'm sitting there with you and I'm looking at you going, tell me everything. Please tell me everything. Because if you don't tell me everything, I can't help. We're going to leave. We're going to leave exposure. We're going to leave something that they can come back in and get you with. Tell me everything. And then it will. What an interesting career though. Like, cause I was <laughs> listening and I was listening to your, your interview with Chris Voss. And for those of yeah. you, I would highly recommend going and checking it out because it was, it was, it was great. And negotiation is such an interesting thing. Like, you know, for him working with the FBI and then with you, where you're saying you're dealing with these crazy situations, like, you know, this is, here's my, my question for you is that he doesn't think it's, it's innate, but I was curious because when I was listening to that, so the question was, is negotiation innate or does it learn? And he said it was learned. But then I was like, well, doesn't, doesn't that gut feeling of that intuition play into that a little bit? Like, don't you kind of know? So I was like, I wanted to like interject. So I wanted to, I wasn't even going to ask you this, but it just, it's interesting because it's negotiation and you're dealing with these crises. What's your take on that? So, so Chris and I differ a little bit on this. And, and by the way, I love Chris. Like we were, I mean, so much of the show we didn't get to air because we were laughing so hard. But he's just, he's phenomenal. Like he's just such a good human being. And I love how dry he is. And I love how unflappable he is. And he just, he makes me, he lights me up. He makes me smile. I don't think negotiation is innate. I think it is learned. Okay. I think the emotion that you feel, the lack of emotion that you feel the steadiness that you feel is either innate or trauma-based. Being able to keep your body, and, and I, I know that for a fact, Lance, and I'm telling you, as you do some of this, 
if you knew some of the situations where like, I mean, like hostage situations. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do? Are we going to like, like, and everybody's like, oh my God, like you are literally tripping. I'm not, I'm not tripping. I just, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm going to go over and talk to the person who's really elevated. To me, it's elevated that bad. They're just hurt. They are hurt. But again, I go back to the big thing about Stephanie is a giant man screaming, flipping out six foot six, six foot eight, crying, flipping out, screaming, throwing things. Everybody's running away. I'm running towards. Like, I'm like, give me a hug. Come here. Like, let's have a conversation. And they're like, what are you doing? You're like this big. It doesn't, it doesn't freak me out. Somebody that angry and that dysregulated, that agitated, they're in immense pain. They're in immense pain and sadness and they just need to be heard and validated. That's all. I want to be clear. There are situations that are not like when people have a gun or when people have, you know, like I'm not, I'm not crazy. I don't put people in harm's way, but like if somebody's really angry and like nobody's leaving this room until blah, blah, blah. We can sit here. (laughs) Okay. What is that? I'm going to, I want to kind of break it down for people as far as like, what's your format for, let's say human connection. Like, how do you get that trust? Like, how do you get that? Like maybe you don't even think about it, but if you had to break it down in steps as far as like somebody out there really wants to build trust with people, but they don't know how to connect. They don't know how to do that. Mm. What is your formula for that? Okay. So for many women, it's different. Okay. So with men, naturally, they, 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 <laughs> this is going to be so bad. You're going to be like, I'm using that. With, with, <laughs> get your pants and paper out, everybody. <laughs> right. Exactly. So with men for women, okay. Trust generally comes through attraction or wanting to have intimacy. Okay. It's not, it's not something to think about. They're not like, they're not like, I'm going to gain trust right now by doing it's, it's something that's in their body. Okay. It's like what happens for them with women. It's different. Women connect through normalcy. They connect through the same. They connect through commonality. Okay. So for women and for men, they connect differently. All right. So with men, the way that I connect is through non-judgment and generally it depends on, you have to meet somebody where they are. Okay. You have to meet them. Like what, how, where's their, where are they elevated? Are they willing to talk? Are they not willing to talk? So the first thing I do with men, especially in a tenuous situation, an infidelity, a white collar crime, a sexual harassment or some kind of allegation around them and their power. Okay. I sit down with them and I start just talking to them about them. Like I just say, you know, what do you love? What do you not love? What do you, and they get irritated. They get frustrated because they're there for a reason. Okay. But I, once I find out what their thing is, so it's, sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's guns. Sometimes it's golf, like whatever it is. I start talking to them about that and I create a commonality. So I say, oh, I was working with a client one time who had this, this, and this. I let them know that they're not alone. And by far, they can tell me that they have done the worst things in the world. I have a client who's done worse. So I tried to, I tried to be very monotone with men, not too high, not too low. I tried to be a close connector. So men won't connect if you're across the room. They don't feel partnered with, they don't feel coupled with, they feel separation and severance. So I'll get really close. Like I'll, I'll sit in a chair where they're in a chair and I'll turn towards them. I'll move away from the table and I'll turn towards them. The other thing that I do is I talk about things that make them laugh. 
So like, I'll tell them, we'll go, oh my God, do you want to hear a funny story? Let me tell you something. By the way, just so you know, like in South Africa, no matter where you are, it doesn't matter where you are. Grown men don't wear shoes. Like they don't wear shoes. What? Like they walk. They don't wear shoes. Like they, they only wear shoes in the office, but anywhere outside of that, like they get in their car and they're holding their shoes and they're walking across gravel and sand and they just don't wear shoes. <laughs> it's well, the it's weirdest also- thing. And so that's, that's, but it's, it's so weird to be, to walk in and go, they don't wear shoes. Or here's another thing, napkins. You don't ever get served with a napkin, no matter if it's a five-star restaurant or a food truck, you get food and they don't bring you a napkin. And when you ask for a napkin, they look at you like you're odd. They're like, oh, really? Yeah. And so like, they're like, what are you serious? I was like, yeah, I just thought I would bring that up to you because I just got back. And then you kind of lighten it up with, oh gosh, you know what? That makes sense. One time when I was here, this happened. And then they just start naturally having a conversation. And then they kind of are, are not so, why are you here? How are you going to crucify me? What's my consequence going to be? Because you've, you've humanized like laughter. You've humanized connection. You've humanized that you know why you're here, Steph. You know the bad stuff that I did. And you're still willing to like laugh and tell me a funny story. Like, you know why you're here. Like I laundered $60 million and you want to start off with, Crazy thing about South Africa, that you're, you're a human and I am a human and that's all we are. I might have a little bit of better resources in this area and you could have better resources. They may need some dates too. Mm. Just making it human and normal. That's such a great point because, well, that's why, that's what makes you such a great podcast host too, obviously. That's like, I, you're, you have, it's like a natural gift that you have, right? And you make people feel comfortable. And I think that is such a good point because even as being a podcast host, sometimes you go into things thinking there has to be like, and you, you see this with people. There's like, has to be a certain way. And it like, there's like an agenda and it's like, it's not natural and it just feels off. But if you can have that humanness first then everything else kind of unfolds naturally then you get yeah. to the then you get to the good stuff once you just the humanness can the connection and like the barriers yeah. are broken right am i right there i i completely so so i i actually so you know lance you know i'm brand new at this whole podcasting thing yeah, and you're great <clears throat> it's 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 so between you and like jeremy you know harbinger and and uh, rob you guys have said, Stephanie, you're so good at this. And I'm literally like, Lance, I'm sweating. I'm like, I, I, I don't understand why. Like, I don't feel like I'm good at it. You know why? I, I, I'll tell you why. Because you make somebody feel comfortable and then they want to open up. That's the key. Because you're good yeah. at the human connection. You're, you're great at, hey, we're humans. Let's have some fun. Let's get to the good stuff. Boom. And then it happens. Yeah. That's what happens. And so that's kind of why I've started doing like a 15 minute pre-call like beforehand, because I feel like it's just like, like an odd, weird, blind date. Like, do you know, do you know, do you know Ahmed? Okay. Yeah, you should. Okay. So he has become like, he, we were joking, like his dad hooked up with my mom or my mom hooked up with his dad, like, because we have to somehow figure out how we're related. We're like the same human being. Okay. But when he went on my podcast and he's got like a million followers on LinkedIn, he is phenomenal. He's amazing. But he was very, he's, he's Australian and he's very buttoned up and he's very proper. And I was like, this is not how the show is going to go down. Like, this is not, like, it's just <laughs> not happening. Like, it's just, it's just not. And so he was like really prepared to give like actionable advice. And he was going to like, come on. And I was like, 
we were crying, laughing about like 80s rap videos and like how he used to wear overalls and he used to actually be a rapper, like in a boy band. And afterwards he was like, I cannot believe the stuff that I said. It's like, I literally cannot believe the stuff that I said to you. He's like, I don't even know how that happened. Scott McGregor, Scott McGregor, after our podcast, he called me and he goes, I've been on a hundred podcasts. He's like, I have never in my entire life had such an easy conversation. And that makes me feel sad. That makes me feel so happy. Like, I'm like, I just love that. It makes me feel awesome that you're going to talk to me and give value to all these other people and inspire them and impact them that they can do something too. You know, what's beautiful about it is that you're just being you. You're just being you. You're not yeah. like, that's the beautiful thing. And that's why I love it too. Cause it's like, you just get to be you and you just happen to record it, you know? And it's a great point because I think, well, even for, let's say adversity, people going through challenges, humor is, humor is medicine. Like laughter is medicine to help you get through things too. It's important to understand that like not everything has to be like, you know, I like to go in the flow, you know, you go deep, then you laugh. I mean, it's all part of the human experience, right? It helps you move through stuff. And I, I think, I think one of the, an incredibly personal story for me is I've lost a lot of people that mean they're not like second or third dirty connections. They're like an aunt or a best friend or a cousin. I stopped counting in, I, I, one day I was just in a really bad spot and I started making a list. These are close people. These are brothers. These are uncles. These are aunts. These are cousins. These are best close friends. I stopped counting at 82. Wow. And, and that was like probably eight years ago. <clears throat> My uncle recently passed away. He was very young. He was, it's, it'll be three years in December. Six foot two, 200 pounds. He died of ALS. When he died, he was 67 pounds. <clears throat> the most strapping man that the guy who you could go, oh, I'd really love to have like a treehouse like that. And Saturday, it's completely built and painted and stained and everything. Like just an absolute unbelievable man. And everybody was falling apart around him. He was just diminishing. He was just diminishing. He was losing his speech. He was like losing like everything. My aunt was losing her crap, like just a mess. And I would walk in and I would be like, you look like crap. <laughs> it was like, Seriously, like you look like hell. Like we need to do something about all that. And he would look at me and he would just start laughing because he was like, everybody like crying and like, you know, sad. And I'd be like, get your crap together. Like, let's go get you some clothes. Get your free, what's that thing? A walker? Like, let's go. Like, and, and I, I constantly brought levity or I would say, you know, he couldn't eat after a while. And, and, and by the way, I want to make sure all the viewers and, and all the listeners know I'm not making fun at all of anybody who's going through that. It was one of my greatest and deepest traumas, but he needed somebody to not feel sorry for him. He needed to still feel like a man. He needed to feel like somebody was going to treat him the same. And so I remember he got to a point where he couldn't eat and everything was like IV because he couldn't swallow. You know, you lose all of your stuff. And so I like came in one day and I had a milkshake and I like put the straw in it. And he looked at me and he just started laughing and he was laughing so hard. Lance, he was crying. And everybody around me was like, you are insane. And I was like, no, he knows my sense of humor. He's laughing. He's happy, you know, like, or my best friend who died of breast cancer and she had a radical mastectomy and metastasized. You know, I was like, 
I walked in and I walked in with like a big box of bras. I'm like, guess we don't need these anymore. You know, and she was laughing and she was like, thank you, Steph. Like, thank you for not walking in the door and being, what can I do for you? You know, like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want people to have dignity. I want them to feel like we have the same relationship and people just deserve like honor and respect and integrity and to be treated fun and laughter and calmly and peacefully. But if we don't have laughter, we have sadness. And isn't there enough? Yeah. It's like, we're, we think things are supposed to be a certain way when someone's in that situation and everybody just changes to this, like sad, Oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, it's a good point. How, if you're living your last bits of life, why would you want to just live in that sadness so much? Why would you want to have the normalcy of laughing and goofing around? That's who you are. Why all of a sudden does it have to be like that? Right. It's, it's like, nobody wants to like joke around cause they, they're afraid, but it's like, I would think the person would want more of that normalcy. Right. And that, that's kind of the thing, like, you know, like, I, I mean, and it's happened, <clears throat> I can't, you know, obviously I'm not inappropriate, you know, like I'm not doing that at a funeral or I'm not doing that, but the, and these are close, close relationships. Like, you know, like when he was passing away, <clears throat> he's, he was young, he was 60. And I remember being like, don't worry, I'll have, I'll fix auntie up with Javier. He's so hot. He's an amazing pool boy. You should see him. I mean, he's, she's going to be fine. Okay. You on the other hand, you know, and he laughed and my cousin walked in and he goes, she, he goes, I didn't even know he was capable of laughing because everything was shutting down and everything. You can't really laugh. And I didn't care. I wanted him to feel happy. I wanted, I was hoping he would laugh so hard. He peed his pants. Like that's what I was going for because I wanted him to feel normal and have a conversation like we used to have yeah. giving of yourself to, to, you know, and, and by the way, don't get me wrong. I left and fell apart in the car Yeah, to see him that way, to see him be, he died 20 pounds lighter than my 12 year old son. Okay. I went in the car and I fell apart. That's not for him to see. That is not for him to see. That is for me to go in as strongest and as most loving that I can to make him feel exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. What I feel later on when I have time to process it, that's on me. We don't fall apart when people are living the last parts of their life. It's not nice. Yeah. And it's probably your, your ability to read people too, though. Like, you know, who needs what, like, you know, yeah. people, right. Isn't that like, I mean, you deal with that too. You probably know like, okay, this person needs more love. This person needs like more like pushing the buttons or right. You start to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that's like you go back to, that's just the reading people and being able to connect, you know? I, I don't know. I think I need to do more work on how. I, I really think I needed, how do I know that? And, and why do I feel so comfortable doing it? I have a story that I'll tell you. I don't want to, I don't want to share it. I don't want to share it publicly because it's, I don't know if I can actually keep it together whenever I share it. But, you know, Kenny Rogers had a song like Kenny Rogers, you know, he's 20 billion years old and he mm-hmm. passed away some time ago. But, you know, no when to hold him, no when to fold him. No when to walk away, no when to run. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I just, I just know. And it, and thank God, knock on wood, knock on whatever. It's, it's always played well, but I'm also really good at apologizing too. I don't, I don't feel like 
I'm the boss and you do things like I'm like god I freaking blew that like I suck <laughs> I'm totally comfortable with saying that too yeah that's beautiful well I want to respect your time I know you probably got lots to do so well how are you for time you okay yeah, actually, hang on one second. I think I have. Well, let's. Um, I, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I think I have. I actually have twenty minutes, so I'm good. Yeah. If you had, I guess I kind of asked you this earlier, but I always like to kind of end with this as far as like takeaway advice for somebody. So, what do you have? What advice do you have for somebody that's struggling right now, or somebody that's? Yeah, I mean, kind of like what you answered earlier, but some takeaway advice for the, the lovely humans listening out there? You know, my, my advice is always going to be to serve others. That's always going to be, well, yeah, but how? It doesn't matter how. Like, it really doesn't matter how. When you serve others, it breeds service. I can prove this. I can prove this. We have a, a guy, so, you know, kids are pretty unaware. You know, they're pretty unaware. We had a guy walking down our road who what didn't live on our street. Very sweet older man we ended up talking to. And, and he was, I don't know, maybe 80. And he was holding a bag and he was just going around. He was picking up trash. He was just on a regular walk. He looked like he was on a morning walk and he just picked up trash. And there wasn't a lot, but he did it. And I remember my kids walking out and they saw it and they felt nervous not to do something. They're like, you know, this older man who doesn't live on our street. So they just started picking up trash. Service breeds service. Mm. It doesn't have to be anything weird. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go, oh God, I don't have a day to give. Just go give. Have a conversation with somebody, smile at somebody as, as bad as you're feeling, make it a point to walk down the street, look somebody in the eyes, don't break contact and smile at them. Say, Hey, how are you? And not look at your phone. Don't go, don't go. Hey, Lance. Hey, how are, how it's so good to see. It's really good to see. Like, so like, yeah, I hate that. Don't stop it's and like open the undivided door. attention. Yeah. Stop and open the door for somebody who's unexpected. It doesn't matter if they're older than you or younger than you or your same age. It doesn't matter if it's a guy or if it's a girl. It doesn't matter. Just act and spend one day doing that. Go through your day and go, hey, today I'm going to act in service in everything that I do. I've really started to train my kids whenever they're in a hurry to go somewhere and somebody cuts them off or somebody has rude behavior. Don't honk. What, what does honking do? Just creates more chaos. Do you feel better because you honked a horn? Like what behavior is that creating for you? What emotion does that bring up? Don't do that. Maybe that person is rushing to see their wife and it's, they, they got a horrible phone call. Maybe that their son is on a ventilator. You don't know what's going on in people's life. You don't know. Act in accordance with kindness and empathy in every single thing that you do. Imagine that they are, they are at their ropes, that they're, they're wits in, they're, they're at the end of their rope. And, and this is how they're acting out. You've been there. You know, I've been there. I know. Give a little grace. No appointment, no person, no human, no money, no job, no event is worth not treating people carefully and kindly. Well said. Beautiful. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thanks. Covered so much great stuff today. This was like, this was awesome. I'm Where so could... excited that you're getting married and, and having four kids. Oh. I'm so excited. I, there's just something about me that loves the idea of having those big Christmases, like, you know, with like lots of kids. Cause for the longest time, you know, with my parents splitting up, it was like, a, there was like so many quiet, lonely Christmases with just like 
you know, and I love that feeling of everybody being together. There's something fun mm-hmm. about it, you know, but. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. And remember this conversation, whenever you have it. <laughs> Everyone's like, I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's going to be great. I can't wait to meet all of your children and your oh. wife. This is going to be so exciting. Where can, where can everybody, so you're obviously your podcast, Spin It With Stephanie, highly recommend you guys go check it out. What else can we, how else can people connect with you and learn more about you and potentially work with you or all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So on the website is Stephanie Malik and Stephanie is spelled with a Y. So I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. Every social handle, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, everything is Stephanie Malik. And, and I would be happy to connect with, you know, anybody who wants to connect. And thank you so much for inviting me. And we'll keep an eye open for some, a couple books that are going to be coming out at some point. Well, yeah, like Claude Silver and, and Kara and everybody's like, Stephanie, when are you doing a book? And I literally, you should see me. Like, when am I at a loss for words? You should see me. I'm like, go look at the time. I get, it's like anxiety. Like, I just can't handle it. And Claude is literally like, 2022, you're doing a book. Kara's like, I got the book. I'm like, Ugh. it would be, it would actually wouldn't be that hard. Honestly, like the you want to write it for stuff, me? It's just, oh yeah, I wish. I, just, I, I think with all the stuff that you have though, just needs to be like organized and put into like, it's, it's the already there. It just needs to be put in, you know? I'll make you a deal. I'll find you the wife. You write the book. Okay. I mean, that's a super fair trade. Okay. It sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Lynn. Thank you, Stephanie. Appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Wow. What a conversation, you know? I just feel so blessed to be able to connect with amazing humans like Stephanie and be able to just always continue to be learning from people's different perspectives, people's stories. You know, we learn from stories and, you know, when you can see that somebody has become so successful after being through so much, you can't help but just reflect on yourself and go, all right, if they can do it, I can do it. And That's really the point of all of this is I hope that you guys see yourself in others and their stories and something lands and resonates with you so that you take that and you apply it in your life and take action and move in the direction that's going to get you closer to your goals or to deeper into your healing journey or your personal transformation. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this or if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe and hit the follow button. Also, if you guys want to give back, pay it forward to the show, you can either leave us a review on Apple. It's greatly appreciated. Or tag us on social media or share it with somebody that needs it. It's always greatly appreciated. And most importantly, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for your time. And I love you all. All right. 